Hello and welcome to another edition of EdChoice Chats. I'm Jason Bedrick, Director of Policy at EdChoice, and today we're going to be discussing the school choice programs in Ohio. Joining me today is Chad Aldis, the Vice President for Ohio Policy and Advocacy at the Fordham Institute. Chad, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here, Jason. So Ohio is interesting in that there are five different school choice programs. The first one is perhaps one of the most famous school choice programs, and that was the Cleveland voucher program that was enacted in 1995. How did that come about? Yeah, the Cleveland scholarship program, when it initially started, and there was an attempt to get a statewide program. When the political leaders at the time, most especially Governor Voinovich, realized that wasn't going to happen, the shift then was toward seeing if we could get a program, a pilot program, so to speak, for the city of Cleveland recognizing the educational challenges the city of Cleveland faced and and still faces in many ways. The goal was to try to really empower families with a wider variety of educational options there. It had been a big buildup to it. There was a task force full of a lot of notable business folks, including David Brennan, who recently passed away, a school choice pioneer in Ohio and, and nationwide, who were a part of this effort. And the end result was a scholarship program focused much like Milwaukee's, on the city, in this case, on the city of Cleveland. And the students participating in the program, they have to be low income, correct? Um, Yeah, well, they did initially. They were given first priority. Now, any students in the city of Cleveland are eligible to do that. They just have to reside in the district. And it is based upon funding availability. It's one of the weaknesses probably of that program, the line item appropriation in the state budget. So if there's not enough funding available, then first priority in any given year where the funding is insufficient to meet demand, then then first priority goes to low-income students. Right. And those students are, they have to be below 200% of the federal poverty line or about $50,000 annually for a family of four. Now, I mentioned this is a famous program, and that's uh, to a great extent due to not only because it was one of the first voucher programs, but also because it had the first legal challenge that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, the famous Zelman v. Simmons-Harris case. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of that case and and the outcome? Yeah. Well, the uh, folks who put together this program, I think, kind of anticipated that it would be challenged, and they structured it very carefully. And it is actually, of course, I think had, you know, as we talk a little bit about how the dis- what, what happened in the decision, I think you'll see parts of it impacting the voucher and, and tax credit program structure uh, in much of the nation. So what you what you had here was um, they realized the benefit, at least they believed so, the benefit had to go to parents and not to private schools as the main beneficiary. So, and that ended up being an important turning point in the case when it went to the Supreme Court. So uh, the vouchers themselves are made out in the names of parents and sent to the private school, but primary beneficiary and the named person receiving that is the student and parents. The other thing I think that's notable about it is that it wasn't just for going to a religious private school. You could go to non-religious private schools, but you could also use it initially, although it hasn't been done much. There was an option to go to other public schools using the voucher. And that was that was something I think that was important in the court's decision, saying this is really just empowering families with an option, but not so, saying, and not for the benefit of religion, but instead for the child's educational benefit. And, you know, when it took a number of years to wind its way through the courts, as it typically does, 
but it was a very big day for school choice. And, you know, a number of these types of provisions you will find in voucher programs all over the country. Right. So the challenge from the opponents to the program was based on the First Amendment. They argued that it violated the Establishment Clause because these students were using the vouchers at religious schools, and therefore they believed that this was an unconstitutional form of support for religion. But you explained that the Supreme Court held that it was key that the funds were actually going to the parents. Why is that why is there such an important distinction between money going to parents versus funding going directly from the government to a religious school? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it, it really boiled down to the beneficiaries. I mentioned that word before, the beneficiaries of the program, and that it wasn't a direct payment to a religious entity for this service. It ended up being for the benefit of the students themselves. And it didn't necessarily, by right, go to the private school or a religious school, the primary public purpose of the funds was a student's education. And there were non-religious options available for the students to attend. And, um, you know, I think that was one of the key deciding factors. So it's just sort of like somebody that has Medicaid. The, the key is that the government is supporting this person's access to health care. And if they want to use it at a Catholic hospital or if they want to use it at a secular hospital, the government's not really concerned the key is that they have access to health care. In this case, the beneficiary, we don't say the beneficiary is the hospital, it's the beneficiary is the patient. And likewise here, the beneficiary is the student. And as long as they have access to secular options as well as religious options, then there's no establishment clause issue. That's correct. And, and right. you see the same thing in the post-secondary, you know, with Pell Grants and financial aid being able to be used at a wide variety of institutions, including religious universities. So, you know, it's good that that provision has, you know, that the, the court case applied that very soundly to K-12 education. This was obviously an issue in Ohio and around the country, the question of the constitutionality of the program. After the Supreme Court weighed in, the ice sort of thawed on that argument. And you had a number of programs enacted after that, including in Ohio. So what came after this opinion? Yeah, um, fairly shortly after the 2002 decision, Ohio enacted in 2003 a scholarship for students with autism. When that program was being debated, it really was an attempt to get a voucher for students with all disabilities, but it ended up being, as, as these things often are, an element of compromise in it, just as the Cleveland program had initially been desired to be statewide and had to focus only on a city, an autism scholarship ended up coming out of the 2003 legislative session and launched in 2004. And that program has grown steadily for the last 14 years now. And any student in the state of Ohio with autism can receive this scholarship, even if they first attend a private school. So there isn't a prior year in attendance requirement that we see in a lot of voucher programs. They do have to have an IEP, but they're able to go to their school district of residence and request an evaluation and to get an IEP. So it's been a very important uh, tool for families in Ohio. Also, one thing that makes it a little bit unusual and a little innovative is it almost was a precursor to ESAs in that the money doesn't have to go entirely to the private school that the student attends using the voucher, but there are approved providers that can be various therapists, you know, whether it's speech or cognitive therapy and behavioral therapists 
providers can be approved to participate in the autism scholarship and the parents can decide, okay, I want 10,000 of the scholarship to go to tuition at school and I want to put together this you know, assortment of other providers to provide services. So in that way, I guess it was a little bit ahead of its time. And the scholarship sizes are quite significant. Uh, they can go all the way up to $27,000 per pupil and the average is about $23,000 per pupil. And you mentioned it's grown steadily. In the first year, there were only about 100 students participating. But this past year, we had about 3,500 students. So that's, that's pretty significant, especially when you consider the Cleveland program originally had fewer than 2,000. That's up to almost 9,000 students today. And they receive scholarships uh, just under $5,000 per pupil on average. So the Ohio Autism Program is serving a fairly large number of students given the the population size. It is, and it has had a really passionate advocacy base. For a long time, the scholarship was limited by statute to 20,000. It's only been in the last few years that it was increased to 27,000, which isn't the exact amount that traditional public school students with autism receive. According to our, uh, we have categorical weights for students with disabilities in Ohio. So typically the student would get 30 or 31,000, but it was a nice victory for the school choice movement and for most importantly for the kids and parents in Ohio to a few years ago raise that scholarship amount from 20,000 to 27,000 as the maximum. So we'll continue to look for opportunities to increase that so that they get the true comparative amount that the students would generate in a traditional public school, but it still does make for a really strong program. You mentioned that the original intent was to open up the vouchers to all students who had special needs. They ended up compromising on autism, but advocates didn't stop there. They did push for more. Could you tell us a little bit about the John Peterson Special Needs Program? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the one of the interesting things is one of our uh, the leading voices for the autism scholarship was a state representative uh, named John Peterson, and he had pushed for that while he was there and wanted it to impact all students. And I think he'd uh, long felt that, you know, uh, that, that they left a little too much on the table when they ended up passing a law that didn't cover all students with disabilities. So um, by that time, he had term limited out of the legislature. But there were efforts in 2005, 2007, we do most of our policy in budget years, which are the odd-numbered years, 2009, and then finally 2011. There were efforts at amendments and at standalone legislation every year, a growing base of families calling for this scholarship, great success stories from the autism scholarship recipients. And finally, um, in 2011, uh, in Governor Kasich's first budget, we were able to cross the finish line. And, and pass a, a special needs scholarship. It is one of those things, I think it's an important reminder that, you know, even though you might be right in fighting for, you know, students' rights, sometimes it takes a while to overcome some of the political hurdles and challenges that are, that are faced. But the advocacy community in Ohio was incredibly strong and, and, and persevered when it would have been easy to become disenchanted. But uh, you know, now, of course, that program has grown tremendously as well over its first five years and is now serving uh, just under 5,000 students. Right, and originally was serving about 1,300. So the students participating in that program, the scholarship value is not quite as high. It's, it's about $10,000 on average, but uh, still significant level of support. Why this particular uh, population? Why is it that these families for so many years are coming back to the legislature saying we would like access to this program? 
Well, you know, I think that has a lot to do with the failings of uh, IDEA and FAPE in that, you know, in many cases for families to enforce their rights, it requires lawsuits. Um, you know, so if you're a parent of a student with disabilities and you're not happy with the way things are going and the provisions of the IEP, the Individualized Education Plan, aren't being met, you know, you, if your district doesn't agree with you, you're left to challenge it in court. And that is a really, really difficult thing to do, an expensive thing to do for families. And this, I, I think there were enough families that just felt like they needed some other option. And they saw the autism scholarship was a powerful example of, you know, how much more those families were empowered because of having one specific disability versus all of the other parents who were like, well, why can't my children receive the same flexibility? So, you know, I think that's what really led to it. There was a loyal group of folks who just really felt that, that, that their student could prosper if they had these other options. And I think, I think generally speaking, it's proven to be the case. There's been a lot of satisfaction. I mean, you did mention the scholarship amount. Uh, the good thing about the, the structure of the scholarship amount of uh, this scholarship is the categorical weights that are in law are followed for this scholarship program. So the fact that the average scholarship is low is merely a function of people with disabilities that happen to be somewhat lower funded, whether it's speech issues or, or some of the behavioral disabilities. That just happens to be, you know, it, it's just by the general weighting and usage of the program. The other thing is some of the students with autism that get under state law, some of the highest categorical funding weights are all in the autism program. So that, that probably keeps the uh, average scholarship amount here done, but, but it does show you there's a huge variety of students of varying needs who are able to utilize this program. So students who have, say, a cerebral palsy or Down syndrome might be getting significantly more than a student who just needs speech therapy. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Well said. Right. They might get 20000 or they might even get up to the statutory maximum of 27000 Now, we had mentioned that the autism program was enacted in 2003. It took nearly a decade before they were able to enact the special needs program, the John Peterson program. But in between the two, they had some other successes, including in 2005, they enacted Ohio's Ed Choice Scholarship Program. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, the uh, the Ed Choice Scholarship Program was kind of patterned after uh, Florida's old Opportunity Scholarship Program. It was the general thought there was when students are assigned to extremely low-performing schools, that those students should receive an option to go to private school. So it was very limited in nature. The first year it was rolled out, there were very few schools, public schools, whose students were eligible for vouchers. Because of changes in the state accountability system, because course, you're looking at school performance, so it was all tied into the state's accountability system. It, it, gradually, the number of students eligible for the program increased, but it was a program that, again, was thought to be sort of a safety valve and an option when your traditional public school had failed you. Now, from our perspective, that was an entirely too narrow view of school choice and what school choice should be, but, you know, this was a program that passed during the 2005 budget process. And, uh, and took a, a big lift to even get where it is and, and had some, you know, some very strong legislative champions. John Husted, who is now the lieutenant governor-elect, was a, a, a major important force in the adoption of the Ed Choice Scholarship Program. And a number of other legislators who have since term limited out were also involved. But it was, uh, you know, it's an important program and, and really opened the door much wider to private school choice because at the time when that was passed in 2005, 
Ohio only had a program limited to Cleveland and to students with autism. So this all of a sudden, you found students in 20 or 30 different communities and school districts who would have eligibility for private school choice. So it was the beginning, I think, of the broadening of eligibility, but Ohio still has a ways to go in that regard. Right. So, I mean, it, it has grown significantly. I mean, a decade ago, there were only about 3,000 students participating. Last year, you had uh, about 22,000 students participating. They received scholarships on average of about uh, $4,300. But you said that uh, you, you thought this was a too narrow understanding of school choice, that we were only going to offer school choice to students who are assigned to a district school that is low performing and that are low income. Why is that too narrow a definition? Yeah, well, you know, if, if the idea is to ensure every student is in a school where they can be successful and in a school that's working for them to put them on a path to success, and you want to empower parents to have that opportunity to find the school, I think what you saw is that in the Ed Choice program, well, the Ed Choice program was limited to the lowest of the low. At its, it typically, in its modern sort of eligibility sense, about 200 public schools out of Ohio's more than 3,500 public schools are on the list in any given year. And what that means is there's about 100,000 kids eligible out of Ohio's 1.8 million. And what you don't have, though, is you don't have students in a mediocre school, a school that, you know, they're, you know half the kids are doing okay, but, you know, a quarter of them are really struggling. And, and some, of course, are succeeding wildly because it's a good fit for them. But, you know, those, those ones who are struggling, if the school wasn't on the list, and generally speaking, it wasn't, just playing the odds, you found that school choice wasn't a reality unless their family could afford to move or they went to a charter school or some other Ohio school choice option. So we just felt that too many students who were struggling and could really benefit from having a broader option didn't have access to it. So, you know, very quickly, when I moved to Ohio about a decade ago in 2008, we were pushing every year to try to expand eligibility to include, um, well, we'd love it to include everyone, but, you know, knowing that you got to sometimes get incremental victories, we were looking to expand it to uh, low-income students of all types so that you had a a family that didn't have options, who couldn't move, who couldn't maybe even afford transportation to open and enroll into another school district, that they would have the opportunity to try to hopefully find a private school that would work for them if that was what the parents thought was the best option. So you might even have a student who's at a school that's high performing on average, but for that particular child, it's just not the right fit. They're not thriving in that environment, even though most of the students who are at the school are. But You said you want to expand to everybody, but of course, that's not always an option. Incremental reform is obviously much better than no reform at all. And if you're going to have incremental reform, you want to prioritize the most vulnerable populations first. Eventually, in 2013, they did have yet another expansion with the adoption of the Ohio Income-Based Scholarship Program. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, that program is uh, line item funded in the state budget. So it's not funded like most of our school choice programs with a deduct from the dollars received by the school district. So that was part of the political deal that got it done. And unfortunately, what we've seen is that it has artificially limited the growth of this program. The last two or three years, the number of applicants have exceeded the available funds. This year, I think it was by about 2,000 students. And that has been you know, that's a shame because, you know, just as this was extended, this well, the program was expanded to include these students, we're now saying no and closing the door to educational opportunity to some of the neediest families in the state of Ohio. And it just, 
it just strikes you as, you know, something that's supposed to expand opportunity because we weren't able to get it done politically to make it broader. That has been unfortunate and has really uh, limited options for, again, for some of our neediest families. The one thing, though, to say is the beginning of school choice in Ohio or broad school choice in Ohio with the failing schools model, the the initial version of the EdChoice scholarship, really uh, the biggest challenge it posed was in people's minds, in legislators' minds in Ohio and uh, all, all sorts of policymakers. School choice belonged to when the traditional public school had failed. That was the underlying sort of base assumption they had. It was the premise they started with. And that proved an incredible battle to overcome. The EdChoice income-based expansion would not have happened without the passionate, dedicated leadership of a state representative at the time, now a state senator, Matt Huffman, who, uh, you know, who, who fought against very tall odds to uh, work to get the program that we currently have, the EdChoice income-based expansion. So despite its limitations, it was an incredible, in terms of the way it's funded and how it's limited, it's limited choice. It also expanded choice in that all of a sudden, even you know, to the extent funding was available, you had six, seven, eight hundred thousand families eligible based upon the income thresholds in the program. Still not where we need to be, but it was a tremendous step forward that really fought against a lot of political headwinds, and I think needs to be recognized for that. And as families continue to flock to the program, which has happened every year with very substantial growth, utilizing all of the funds available each year. We're hopeful that eventually this program is going to get rolled up into, hopefully, into the other Ed Choice program and have much broader eligibility and, and ensure all families have access to meaningful private school options in addition to charter schools, open enrollment, and traditional public schools. Now, right now, I mean, you mentioned that it has the potential, at least in, in terms of the eligibility, to serve a very large number of students. And, and it's, it's only eligible to students who are not eligible for the EdChoice program. If they're eligible for EdChoice, they go into the EdChoice program. If they're not eligible for that, it prioritizes students who are below 200% of the federal poverty line. And then after that, students who are between 200 and 300% of the federal poverty line. So about 75,000 for a family of four. And those students are receiving scholarships of about $4,000 on average. It's higher for the lower income families, slightly lower for the more middle income families, serving about 7,500 students roughly right now. But as you mentioned, there are a lot of students who are on the waiting list. And so that it definitely has the potential to grow. Besides formula funding it and making sure that there is access to every single child whose family wants to take advantage of the program. Are there any changes that you would recommend for this program or for the other scholarship programs in Ohio? Yeah, you know, I think the number one thing for Ohio right now to improve its programs and sort of the ecosystem that we've created for private school choice is more eligibility. So, I mean, I I know you've said beside that, besides that, but I think that's, that's important. We need to expand it to more families. We've done a good job with students with disabilities. Cleveland students have good access, although it is a little limited by funding as well. There would be additional families likely to take advantage of that if if more dollars were available. And then the EdChoice income-based program. Not only is it limited by, by income, but it also has a limit of only expanding one grade at a time. So right now it's only uh, students in K-5 through five that are eligible to apply for, the, for, for next year. 
So that is one of the, the things. A couple of other things, nuances in Ohio that are a little different than other places that I think have made it more difficult for families to use it is currently to receive a voucher in Ohio, you need to first be admitted to a private school and then the private school submits your paperwork sort of behind the scenes to the state and then the state approves it. We would really love to move to a system where a family would be able to basically apply for eligibility to the state and almost receive like a voucher in hand that they could then take to any private school that would then admit them. Because otherwise they're going maybe through the application process of three, four, five schools, and they're each sending in maybe their name if they're unsure which school they want to attend. And it just, it creates a more laborious process. So we'd like to, you know, make sure families really understand and know they're empowered and that they have the option to really go to whatever school that, you know, that they want, that, they, that they're admitted to. Increased voucher amounts, especially for high school. A lot of high schools can only take a certain number of students, most likely, because our voucher amount is only $6,000 at the high school level and in both of the EdChoice programs and the Cleveland program. So what that does, because high school tends to be more expensive, providing education at that level, I mean, many private schools have to do a lot of outside fundraising and to be able to serve those students. So they will many times take students to fill up available seats, sort of thinking of it like, like an airplane, you know, when the flight is leaving at 9 a.m. And, um, and if there's 10 empty seats, they're, they're fine filling that at a cut rate, but which in this case for the voucher is, is maybe $6,000, even if the cost of education is 10000 because many of their fixed costs have been covered. So, so it's important for us going forward. If we want especially a supply-side response and we want more private schools to be created and private schools to build new wings and expand, that we have voucher amounts that more closely approximate the cost of education. And then the last thing I would say how our program could be improved is how scholarship amounts are applied. Right now, it's not done like college financial aid. It's done, private schools are being required to apply all discounts and even financial aid in some cases, before the full scholarship amount can be applied. And that creates a difficult scenario where if you have a low-income person who uh, under the school's policies would receive some sort of financial aid, you know, somehow saying their scholarship amount should be lowered as a result of that. So I think that puts a strain on some private schools as well. And so hopefully some of these things will be corrected. We need to make sure that the program stay vibrant and accessible to as many families as possible. Those are excellent points. I mean, I, th- I think it's very important that policymakers, when they are crafting these programs, think through the implementation. You want to make it as easy as possible for parents and also for schools to participate. And as you mentioned, you know, the supply side response is very important. Uh, if our theory of change is that expanding educational choice is going to create a diverse market with a wide variety of different options that parents can choose from. Having a program that's only filling empty seats in the existing private school sector is really not going to lead to those sorts of innovations that advocates of school choice are are hoping to see. So it is very important that policymakers crafting these programs get the design right. So my guest today has been Chad Aldous, Vice President for Ohio Policy and Advocacy at the Fordham Institute. Chad, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you. Before we go, I just wanted to give a quick update about some of the exciting developments this past year in Ohio State Legislature. The budget bill included a number of expansions for Ohio's school voucher programs, 
For example, earlier in this podcast, you heard Chad mention that in order to be eligible for the low-income EdChoice scholarship, you had to be in grades K through 5. The legislature has expanded that all the way through grade 12. So students K through 12 are now eligible, and they added about $50 million to support the expansion. Additionally, the number of scholarships, which right now is about 60,000, will increase each year by 5% if the number of applicants exceeds 90% of the total. So this is what other states call an escalator or inflator that allows the program to grow over time to meet demand. Another interesting thing that they did is they removed the requirement that schools administer standardized tests. Another thing they did is that they allowed schools to administer alternative assessments approved by the Ohio Department of Education. So, for example, a nationally norm reference test instead of only mandating the state test. So this actually respects the autonomy of private schools while balancing it with the interest of accountability, making sure that parents have some benchmark by which to assess their children. So finally, there was an expansion of about $5.9 million to the Cleveland Scholarship Program. So some total, we've got a lot of expansions to the voucher programs in Ohio and also a rollback of some of the regulations. So this is really good news this past year for the state of Ohio. Thanks again for joining us for another edition of EdChoice Chats. Remember that you can subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and follow us on social media at EdChoice. And don't forget to sign up for our emails on our website, edchoice.org. Thanks again for joining us. 